1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown.
0: Today
1: today I'm going to be talking with Dina Rollinger, who is the author of Abortion Politics, Mass Media and Social Movements in America. The book is published by Cambridge University Press this year. I hope that you enjoy this conversation that I had with her. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, I have the pleasure to talk today with the author of Abortion Politics, Mass Media and Social Movements in America, published this year by Cambridge University Press. Dina Rollinger, how are you doing today?
0: Great. Thanks for having me on the show, Heath.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure. Um we've already talked just a little bit and I've I've really been looking forward to talking about this book. Before we get to the book, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where have you been? Where are you now? What is your what fills up your academic life?
0: Oh, okay. So I'm an associate professor of sociology. And I'm at Florida State University and I have interest in mass media, political parties, and political participation, but I really like to consider myself a disciplinary dabbler. And so I've studied communications, political science, and and sociology, and so I really try to bridge the interdisciplinary divide so that I can find those ideas that are going to help move us forward in our thinking about media and politics.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so nice to hear you say that. We had Michael Heaney on just a couple of weeks ago talking about his book that he wrote with a sociologist about the anti-war movement. And he talked about something from a similar perspective of working as a political scientist but trying to reach out in ways that maybe hasn't been done in the past. And so I see this as a nice re, nice counter and response to, to Michael's uh, uh, discussion a couple of weeks ago. So let's get to the book uh, because there's a lot to talk about. And I wanted to just quote from the start of the book. You you write at the start, and I quote, scholars miss these strategic silences because they focus on coverage of of movement organizations rather than the choices groups make. I wonder if you could explain a bit about what you mean by this and and what this says about gaps in the literature from taking this this approach that, that you criticize.
0: Yeah, so this is a great question, and I'll start with just an example so folks can get a sense of what I mean. So I start the book with this case of Paul Hill, who murdered an abortion provider in Pensacola, Florida, and he gets executed in 2003, and what's really interesting is the media coverage surrounding the execution. As you might expect, pro-choicers, the folks that are advocating for safe and legal abortion, they are out in the media saying look this is exactly what we're fighting against and you also have folks that support paul hill's point of view that would be more extreme which means advocating against you know advocating um, for violence against people on property saying hill's a martyr but what you have missing are mainstream pro-life groups and they aren't getting any media attention and so arguably From what we know, we could say, well, you know, groups, mainstream groups like National Right to Life Committee just aren't very good or very interesting, and that's why they're not included. But if we think it through, it makes no sense for them to try to get media attention around this kind of event. They don't want to be associated with pro-life extremists. They want to set the tone for the debate and be able to affect politics. And being tied up with extremists doesn't allow them to do that. So I use that example to really highlight what social scientists are missing. And what we're missing is focusing on strategy more generally. We focus on their tactics, and we will focus on whether or not they get media coverage. But we've never talked about why it would make sense for a group to strategically avoid Getting media attention, and so that 's one of the things that I do in the book and i 'm careful to make sure that i don 't think it 's a um, a methodology problem. I mean quantitative and qualitative folks are making this error and it 's really time for social scientists to think more generally about media, how groups use media, and the implications for you know, our politics
1: yeah, I think it 's such a interesting uh, point and and um, relates in so many ways to sort of the, the politics of, of inaction um, and, and something that's so difficult to observe. But anyone who's worked in politics knows most of your time is spent deciding what not to do. Um, you know, uh, meetings not to go to, uh, calls not to take, uh, you know, issues not to uh, voice too loudly about. And so I, I just think that take is, is really on point. From my reading of the political science literature and, and you know, your your focus here, You center your analysis around several advocacy organizations. I wonder if you'd briefly sketch them and and where they stand on the issues.
0: Sure. So I do four in-depth case studies, and I use two pro-life groups and two pro-choice groups. So the pro-life groups that I include are National Right to Life Committee, and a group called Concerned Women for America. The pro-choice groups are National Organization for Women and Planned Parenthood. And I really chose these groups for a few reasons. Um, They have these very different orientations uh, to the abortion issue, even when they're on the same side of the debate. So for pro-life groups, for example, a group like the National Right to Life Committee uh, has really tried to avoid getting bogged down in religious debates or religious understandings of abortion because they've really embraced a mainstream approach to politics. So they understand that most often political change happens in these small little increments and there's not going to be a massive overturning of Roe versus Wade. So they are trying to fit themselves into the predominant way of politics and trying to attract as many people – to their position and from their perspective that extends well beyond particular religious traditions this is not true of another uh, pro-life group Concerned Women for America which deals with abortion but also a range of other issues it's an evangelical women's rights organization and is opposed to abortion as well as advocates for things like national security so here we have a, a, a group that's advocating for women, but also doing so on a range of issues, which is similar to um, National Organization for Women, which is a group that folks are probably much more familiar with. So I also tried to do uh, groups that were very specifically trying to oppose each other. So National Organization for Women and Concerned Women for America identify one another as enemies, you know, National Organization for Women says, I'm a, we're a feminist group. We want women to have access, reproductive rights and access to abortion when they want and Concern Women for America obviously has a very different perspective on that cause. And the last group is Planned Parenthood, which is a bit of an outlier insofar as its structure because it's just a huge organization with affiliates all over the country, as well as a couple of national offices within the U.S., and so they have some dis, uh, different advantages, as I highlight in the book. But are definitely a worthwhile case for inclusion.
1: Now, um, you, you have a particular approach to to understanding these these four organizations. You you look at them from the perspective of the study of media. I wonder what you specifically did to investigate them. You mentioned this is a case study, but, but what is what is your method? How do you go about trying to understand things, understanding that what you mentioned earlier about the sort of the, the some of the biases of observation? How did you study this?
0: Right, so I tried to use a variety of methods. So I did interviews with past and current activists, which is always wonderful to talk to past activists because they're much more forthcoming in their opinions of former employers. Uh, I also tried to interview people multiple times because as particularly if they think you're hostile to their cause, which some of the pro-life people weren't completely sure about me, interviewing them several times over a period of years makes them, trust you more and they, they give you more information. But I also, they all had archives. Um, some were public, some were private. So I went through all their archival data and I also read all their their organizational newsletters and all the media coverage that was done about them. So I drew on all of these sources um, to get a sense of these groups, what they were doing politically and how they fit media into their political strategies.
1: Yeah, so how have they made strategic media media choices? Have they, by and large, made similar decisions? Have they approached the media in in similar ways? Or or do they have some distinct approaches, given that they have quite distinct uh, policy views?
0: Well, what I find in the book, or one of the things I advocate in the book, is that the kinds of the decisions that these groups make vary dramatically according to their reputation in mass media. So groups that have a good reputation with mainstream and even more partisan outlets like Human Events or Ms. Magazine, will be able to use media differently or not, or will have different opportunities to get coverage than those groups that have you know, relatively weak reputations. And so all this means is if you're a group with a strong reputation, you can avoid ugly media debates that groups with weak reputations will probably not avoid and will take some public hits as a result.
1: I wonder. So, if, if reputation matters a lot, help us around kind of the the circularity of that argument. Where does the reputation come from for an organization? Since you know, sort of from a distance, you'd say, well, that reputation comes from the media, but yet it affects their access to the media. Help help us understand kind of the is is this a cycle, or does it work differently?
0: Great, so there are a couple of things that affect. So it is interesting because at the end of the day, obviously journalists, and one of the things I did do is I talked to journalists and then did content analysis of media coverage to see how often groups get covered and what kinds of coverage they get and then how do ju- journalists and various kinds of outlets, including broadcast media, see these groups. So they do, they're the arbiters of reputation in a lot of ways but what you can also see is that the groups that they prefer line up with the institutional norms of media and so the things that social scientists take for granted like the fact that there's a media department and they're able to produce uh, they're able to produce uh, press releases and reports and they're able to have someone available for comment on a, on the same timeline as journalists or the fact that they have someone in their organization that has institutional credentials beyond being an activist. So one of the advantages for a group like National Right to Life Committee is they have often had a doctor at the helm of the organization, which gives the group a a legitimacy that an activist alone at the helm of an organization doesn't have. So I outline a variety of factors where you can see once they line up, where there's a lining up between the organization and the norms of the institution of media, it gives them a better chance of building a reputation. Now, this doesn't mean an organization can necessarily keep a reputation. Uh, I use national uh, national organization for women as an example of a group that had a reputational decline. And there are factors that can make it very difficult for them to come back from that How
1: generalizable do you see some of these findings to other groups and other issues the The uh, politics of abortion um, are very specific in particular they have some qualities that most issues don 't have, mm-hmm. and you 'd think that those those particularities probably relate to um, media coverage given given how um, sensational some some issues can be related to abortion is this applicable to other policy areas and other other types of uh, organizations
0: yeah i think that's a great question and yes what i've done in the book is i've transcended the abortion debate so instead of just saying okay here's what we see in abortion i've identified three dilemmas media dilemmas that are common to all groups and and talked about how reputation generally can affect how they respond to these dilemmas. So the dilemmas that I outline are whether or not a group decides to access external media, so whether or not they decide to move beyond their web page and, and their email list and try to engage with whether it's radio or television or get get into the newspaper. The second dilemma is whether they should respond to negative media attention. And the third dilemma, how do they respond to losing issues? So these aren't just abortion problems, right? So groups that are mobilizing around abortion don't just simply have to decide how to deal with these reoccurring problems. This is something that all social movement groups have to face in their lifetime,
1: Yeah, I learned a lot from the book, and and partially because this is a subject matter that I'm very interested in. But I think you present it in a really compelling way. Uh, Dina's book, Abortion Politics, Mass Media and Social Movements in America, published by Cambridge University Press this year. Dina, thank you very much for your time today.
0: Thank you.